Welcome to episode 88 of the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. This is Sana Amanath, director of content and character development. So, before we get to the C2E2 panel that we had this past weekend, something exciting happened to you, Sana, last week. Yeah, a little exciting, I would say. You just met the president, you know, like you do. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Yes, I met the president of the United States, Barack Obama, and um, it, it was quite a surreal, surreal experience. Uh, half of the office didn't even know I was going until they saw me, I think, on camera in the White House, <laughs> which was uh, quite interesting. Um, but we, uh, the White House has a Women's History Month reception every year, and they have this incredible council called the White House Council on um, Women and Girls. And it actually came into being during Barack Obama's presidency, so he signed it into effect in 2009, I believe. Um, and the entire idea is making people aware of um, of women's issues, women and girls' issues, in the various work that they do across, like, governmental programs. So Val- Valerie Jarrett um, is uh, the head of the council, and I actually got to meet her, which was very cool. But this council sponsored the Women's History Month reception, um, and I was invited to it probably a couple days before the official reception. And I remember being like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to the White House. This is very cool. And then thinking, oh, at least, like, it's a little nerve-wracking because I'm going to go to the White House, you know. And at least, though, I don't have to, like, worry about saying a speech. (laughs) (laughs) Because as many people of Marvel know, when I'm about to give some sort of public presentation, I get really antsy and nervous and start figuring out what am I going to say and how am I going to act and, you know, is it is it going to be uh, witty and intelligent? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was it was a little a little little daunting at first, and it wasn't until the day before where they called me and they're like, so, Sana, how would you like to introduce the president? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, y- uh, of the United States? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, and uh, I said, I guess, you know, people don't really say no to that. If I said no to that, that would be a big problem. And, um, yeah, so I scrambled that day to, to put together a, a quick introductory note and hope that it was smart and concise and, you know, reflective of what Marvel's all about and also, like, what the president is all about. Um, and then the next day, uh, got on a train in the morning, landed in D.C., <laughs> And made sure that my also my my face and my clothes were ready for the White House. <laughs> well, you looked very stunning. Thank you. That's all that matters. Yes, <laughs> and you sounded fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was funny because the first thing that my like when I came home, like my aunt and my uncle and all these people were coming up to me and they're like, "Oh my god, congratulations! The White House so incredible." They're like, "But really, you looked great." <laughs> I'm like, what does that say about what their, uh, you know, their qualifications of success are? 
And also how I look on a daily basis. <laughs> I think it says more about how I look on a daily basis. How did you do your hair? I'm like, it's called a blow dry. I actually did my hair today. Thank you. <laughs> Which is well, pretty funny. And, but then you also got a photo op with yes. the president holding number one. Ms. Marvel, yes. Yeah. yeah. So right before we ended up going in. So, so what they had was at this really beautiful reception at the White House. It was so elegant and not over the top at all. And, you know, a group of like 200 women from all different backgrounds and experiences. It was so cool to meet them, like people who are working in the White House. Like I met the chief technology officer, Megan Smith, and of course met Nancy Pelosi, like all of these really incredible women. And then, you know, some other women who are actually working in programs within uh, like New York City, like local programs to help like women and girls. So for me, that in itself was exciting. But then they uh, like brought a select few, I think about 10 of us, 10 or 12 of us into um, this room where the president was going to come and do like a individual meet and greet and talk, and talk to us real quick. And then I was last because I was the introducer. So, um, so you had to stand there and like take deep breaths. and. Oh, my God. Yes. I was I was standing and taking deep breaths and freaking out, though, because my mouth gets so dry when I'm when I'm nervous and when I'm about to speak, I just, just, it just starts closing up. So I'm like, meanwhile, chugging water, like in line, and everyone's like, she's crazy. <laughs> like the secret service I was looking at, they're like, there's something wrong with this chick. And I was like, I'm just nervous. I'm just, so right before I met the president, I, cause I had my comics in my hand and my, my, my speech. And I, like, chugged it, and I put it down. I'm like, it's probably some very old, like, beautiful, like, stand, like, cabinet that they've had. I just kind of put it down. I'm like, it was a mess. And one time I said hello. Um, he was very kind and nice, and uh, we we had a quick photo op, and I asked him if I was allowed. Because I had Ms. Marvel in my hand, and I was like, should I hold it up? I mean, I guess. And he's like, whatever you want. Whatever you want, sonna. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I just held Ms. Marvel in our picture, and um, which was which was very very lovely, and we chatted briefly about it, and uh, then we went. I went straight out there and and did my did my little introduction. I think everyone in the crowd thought that I was that they were introducing the president. So when I walked out, they're like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> It's Sarah Amanat, the president of the United yeah. States, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I had a very warm reception. The, 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 the people in attendance were so supportive of everything that I was talking about. They very much connected with the, the, the bigger ideas, and that was really incredibly important to me. And also just to be able to, one, talk about comics um, in that space, talk about Marvel in that space, uh, but also talk about what's happening within pop culture and, you know, these diversity issues that have been coming up and how people are so all about saying things like, oh, diversity is in the zeitgeist, you know, like having representations in the zeitgeist. And that gets me so annoyed because it's not. It's not a temporary thing. It's not like what's in the zeitgeist right now. It's about this need and this desire of certain groups to be authentically represented and for people to not misinterpret who they are. And that's like a very simplistic thing. And a lot there was a, it was a very diverse audience that um, was in attendance at the White House. So they very much responded to that idea because I think people are kind of seeing the similar the way that media has been covering it has been like, oh, so, you know, 
you you guys are you have a lot more you know black characters or you have Muslim characters and you know what, they're so fascinated with that and it seems a little bit more superficial to me. I think it's more it's like such a simple idea and I think people are sensationalizing it into something that you know is. I don't know, sensational. What's the word I'm looking for? But but it's it's becoming sensationalized because it's it's a topic of discussion, and it's I like think it's much bigger hour, than that. Twenty four hour news cycle. Yeah. Like, oh, let's talk about it right now let's, because like something's happening. But in in the long run, it doesn't matter what happens. But it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it this is this is about real issues that we're having, and we need to construct a dialogue that has practical applications. And right now, we're at the dialogue phase, and I think. We are talking about these these issues because it's something that has been bubbling to the surface for quite some time. And I think, you know, the Oscar So White controversy, all of that that happened, controversy, I wouldn't call it a controversy, but the Oscar So White hashtag that happened was people finally realizing we have to make people aware of the fact that how, like, we're how are we casting? How are we casting our characters? And who are we putting behind, you know, the the script-making process? Who are our producers? Who are, that is extremely important to start telling more authentic, representative stories. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that all of this is happening right now. I think it's just a, a desire that has, has existed for quite some time. And I think the um, events, like the one that you went to, brings brings all the people in the room who are all having that dialogue, but together, and I think it gives it sort of like a, a kick, like an extra yeah. a burst of energy to be like, oh, I'm not the only one shouting. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're all shouting together. It's It gives it strength and validity. And that's also, I mean, that's what why the Women of Marvel panels and podcasts are so important, because that's what it did for us, right? Like years ago, when we didn't have that space, we we didn't have that space, and we cultivated it, and we realized there's a whole entire venue and market of, like, individuals who are in the same exact boat that we are. Um, so that is very—that's why it's very important. And that's why, like, regardless of your political background, I have to say I've really gained—I mean, I've always loved Barack Obama. I think he's amazing, and he's so dreamy, of course, but— uh, <laughs> I think he is a genuinely good person, and I'm sure whatever I've disagreed with certain decisions he's made, I've agreed with some of them, but I still fundamentally believe that the fact that he has galvanized this type of demographic and population and encouraged these voices and brought it to the White House is really indicative of what kind of individual he is and what his point of view and his intentions are. That's just so much, um, you know, especially when we're in a political climate where people are consistently and outright demonizing multiple racial and minority groups. That's scary. So seeing that contrast to what we're seeing in the television, seeing him kind of engaging these this particular group celebrating women, um, that gives me a lot of positivity and hope. So thank you to the, the White House, the, the, the Council of Women and Girls, to obviously President Barack Obama. Uh, shout out to Michelle Obama, who I missed. Wish I had met her. <laughs> but I think you're amazing. Obviously, I know you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> obviously. We should get her on here to yeah. talk to us, clearly. If you ever want to join Michelle Obama, um, it was truly incredible honor. I feel very lucky to not only, you know, represent 
obviously the the women of Marvel, but Marvel at large, to be able to talk about comics um, and to talk about things that I'm very passionate about. So I feel I feel very lucky and very grateful. Well, we're so excited for you. Thank you. We'll help make sure that you guys can uh, be linked to where her speech is. Yes. Uh, you can look to her Instagram for this amazing image of her holding a comic book up. Yes. <laughs> yes. I got. I held um, the Marvel Amazing Spider-Man comic book featuring Barack Obama that, that we did years ago with his inaugur- when he had his inauguration, and um, I, I, it was pretty funny because I called. Well, actually, you guys should just re- watch the speech. And then you'll see how it all came together. Yay! Thanks, Anna, for taking the time to chat to us about your amazing experience meeting the president. As always, if you have questions for us, guys, you can email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at marvel hashtag womanofmarvel. We'll see you guys next week with another Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, this time with Ming-Na Wen and Adrian Pilecki. For now, enjoy the C2E2 panel from this past weekend. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first Woman of Marvel panel at C2E2. We are actually recording this for the podcast. If you guys don't already follow the Women of Marvel podcast, please go on iTunes when you get home and subscribe. We would totally appreciate it. But we'll be recording this, so the louder you cheer, the louder you'll be on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, we have some great ladies today. First and foremost is Katie Kubert. Hi, guys. We've got Emily Shaw. We have Marguerite Bennett. We are missing Vanessa Del Rey, but hopefully she'll be here shortly. And then we have Stacy Lee. Rochelle Rosenberg. And I'm Judy Stevens. I'm missing a slide. We also have Amy Wu up here. Sorry. She makes great art. You reviewed the presentation. They were paying attention. Sorry, guys. I blame. I blame Emily. So, first of all, thank you so much for coming. We've been doing the uh, Woman of Marvel panel for six or seven years now at conventions. This is the first time we're uh, able to bring it to C2E2, and it's really just a celebration of women working in comics and in the industry overall. Um, you know, it's it's just a celebration, and, and we always thank you guys. So, And we have a podcast we do every Friday, so if you have questions or anything like that, you can always email us at womanof at marvel.com, and we'll definitely handle them. So we've got some comic stiff. Oh, first, uh, so every year we do this, we talk about how many female-led titles we have, and currently we have 20. And this is, yeah. This is just a selection of the few covers we have going currently. So keep on buying, and we'll keep on making them. The cool thing is we actually have a lot more in development, too, that we can't even talk about or put up here. So even more are coming, so just, you know, keep buying them. <laughs> so we've got some Squirrel Girl news. So we have an OGM. Yeah. <laughs> so a 
comes out in October of this year, uh, written by Ryan North, uh, art and cover by Erica Henderson. Um, uh, it's a crazy, amazing OGN. Uh, we should hopefully have a uh, press release coming out soon. We can hear all about it. Um, but it's Squirrel Girl, and that's amazing. So if anyone has, perchance, watched that Jessica Jones series on Netflix, uh, <laughs> Jessica Jones will be uh, guest starring in Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, in June. So make sure you guys pick that up. Then we've got some r brand new art to show you from uh, some of the talented artist ladies here. Actually, this is oh. um, Sorry. this is art for the new A Force. Um, this uh, we're having um, Ben Caldwell is going to be coming on board, and he's taking the reins, really uh, totally redoing the look of the book. Um, it's it's really unlike anything we've seen on A Force before. Um, Ian Heron is uh, coloring that. He's in the audience somewhere. But uh, the pages are just coming in. They're really brilliant. Kelly Thompson is taking over, fully writing this. She's kicking its ass. It's, I'm so pleased to actually have you know, really strong voices on this. And like I said, Ben is doing an amazing job and really giving a lot of personality to the characters. And uh, you can see it in their faces. Oh, OK. So um, if anyone was at New York Comic Con, year ago, they may have heard that I talked about Blade, um, because I love Blade, and we're having a new Blade comic, and I'm very pleased for the first time to show you these pages. Uh, they're by Afua Richardson. She is kicking ass, and the whole book focuses on Blade's daughter, and they don't know where she came from, or who her mom is, or anything like that, uh, but it's it's turning out really amazing, and so I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to show you these pages. And Afua um, has done some work for Marvel before, but this is really her going balls out on the interiors and, and really bringing a new, fresh style to our comics. I'm, I couldn't be more pleased to have her be a part of this, so enjoy. Oh, here's another page. Yay, more art. Emily, this is yours. Hey, guys. So I don't know if you've been reading a book called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, but if, if you haven't been reading it, you should definitely pick it up. It's one of my favorite titles that I work on. We created a new character, Moon Girl, a.k.a. Moonella Lafayette, and before we've seen her, we've seen her in class, we've seen her being really smart and creating gadgets and being generally awesome, and now she has a brand new superhero called costume that we are debuting in Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur number five. And so here's a little preview of her putting on the superhero costume for the first time. Amy Reader designed it, Natasha Bustos drew it, and it's awesome. Oh. That's Next also yours. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also work on a title called Scarlet Witch, if you guys have been reading. Um, <laughs> An amazing, amazing collection of artists are working on this. So it's written by James Robinson, but every issue is different art, different artists, and every issue is like its own piece, piece of beautiful artwork, and it's gorgeous. This is Javier Polito's issue seven, which actually is a silent issue. Um, Wanda goes to goes to Spain and has an adventure with some evil nuns. It's pretty great. And then here's some preview pages from Scarlet Witch number six, drawn by Marguerite Savage. 
where Wanda goes to Paris, and it's a beautiful love story. It's sad, and she did an amazing job. So those are just some preview pages for you guys. It's so great seeing this up on like giant screen. They're so like they're beautiful when I get a chance. Like I don't usually have get a chance to see all the new art, and so during these panel presentations, they send them to me. I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. And the next issue, after Marguerite is all done, is going to be drawn by Annie Wu, who's sitting to my left. We're really looking forward to that issue. It's going to be really awesome. Scarlet Witch goes to Hong Kong, has an adventure. It's going to be great. All right, so who picked up and read the first Mockingbird? Yeah? You guys like it? Well, I told you, it's a Katie Cooper comic, and look what we got. Uh, so, um, I am so happy to be a part of Mockingbird because it is a fully female creative team, uh, which is, uh, you know, as you guys know, kind of rare, and, and we're turning out one of the most amazing books. Um, Rochelle is coloring it. She's bringing, bringing the fire to it. It's amazing. Um, and it's unlike any other comic book we have out there on the stands because it's what we call a puzzle box. So, if anybody read the first issue, it was probably a little confusing, uh, but it's that way on purpose. So, these are pages from issue number two. There's some clues up there, if, if anyone can catch them. Um, but yeah, I'm just very, very happy to be a part of uh, this creative team. Chelsea Kane is writing it. Um, it's her first Marvel work, uh, aside from the one shot that she did, also with Mockingbird. Um, and she's got so many ideas, and she's so passionate. Um, it's, it's really refreshing to see on, on this type of title. So, I, Hope you guys enjoy these pages from issue two. We sent it to the printer already, so if you don't like them, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. I hope someone cosplays that. <laughs> so before we move to Q&A, I want to talk a little bit to the, some of the creators and writers sitting on who haven't got a chance to talk yet. So, um, Rochelle, you've actually been on our panel before, years ago at San Diego Comic-Con. Why don't you talk a little bit about your coloring process? Because I think a lot of times we don't usually get a chance to talk to the colorists. We talk usually to the writers. But what you do is so important to the art overall. Yeah, so um, for me, I usually get pages from my editors. Uh, It's all digital, so I get them from an FTP. Uh, Once I get them, they usually go out for flats. I have a company that actually flats the pages. It saves me a little bit of time uh, since I usually get pages sometimes a little late in the process and I don't like to rush anything. So um, once I have the pages flatted, I do all my work in Photoshop. Uh, I get, sometimes I'll get like pre-color notes from editors or the writer or even the artist. And so once I have the script, I kind of lay out the book based on any notes I have and obviously the script. Um, and I just kind of go from there. So, What is like has been one of your more favorite pieces to color? Like comic? <laughs> Recently? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's putting you in your side. You color probably so many pieces. I, I, I've been coloring a lot recently. So, um, honestly, I, I love Mockingbird. Um, I, I love Chelsea. Uh, Kate is amazing. Uh, her art is beautiful. Um, and Chelsea, like Katie was saying earlier, she has so many great ideas. And she sends all this... Uh, reference and inspiration um as if some of you read the the first issue there's a lot of 
60s, 70s, like backgrounds. Um, that's all inspiration from Chelsea. Uh, she loves like any kind of colors from that time period. So I try to incorporate uh, all that stuff into the first issue. Um, it's truly like a, a dream team. Um, when I did the one shot with Chelsea, it was like we got such great feedback and I was really hoping it would go to an ongoing and then it did and when I found out that Chelsea was writing it, I was like so excited. I was like, please, I hope they put me on it and then sure enough, I got an email. I was going to be on it so it's totally like a dream come true. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Yay! Well, I always enjoy your coloring. So, so taking it sort of taking a step back to uh, Annie and Stacy, um, both of you are uh, artists for us, and we're really excited to have you on the team. Um, what is sort of your process from when you first get a script? Well, okay, I'll start. Um, I usually print it out before I even look through it, and then I. Um, do little doodles as I read through the script so I can get down any first impressions or um, any images that pop into my head. And then after that, I do um, layouts. And um, my process, since I moved to mostly digital, well, it's all digital now, um, it's kind of like a pencil ink slash ink stage instead of um, traditionally like penciling out the entire issue and then inking over it. Um, and so after that, I pass it on to the colorist and hope that my inks make sense to them, and then apologize for probably being really late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and that's pretty much exactly the process. I think most people have that process these days. Um, my layouts are really awful and terrible looking, and no one can read them but me, and sorry for anyone who has to see them. I, they published them, I think, in the trade for Silk, and I was like, ooh, those don't look great. But um, yeah, just... Whatever sticks out, just write it down. Try to make some really cool compositions on these pages and see what happens. It's pretty amazing to know, like, you guys sort of work in your apartments. And we, we like, you know, like myself and Katie and Emily, we, we are constantly talking to each other. And the fact that you guys sit down and draw work is so amazing. And, and Marguerite, when you're writing, creating scripts, everyone, it's so, it's so refreshing to see such a different variety of all the different people that work at Marvel. Um, we do all such different jobs. And, and then we come out here and we're able to show great art to you guys. So... So, Marguerite, this is like your 20th time being on this panel. Um, so, you, you've obviously talked about your process and stuff like that, but has there been like a uh, panel or page that you've been really excited to write? I know how technology works. Um, oh, man. So, uh, I, I work on a book called Angela, Queen of Hell, um, with art by Kim Jacinto um, and Stephanie Hans, who are amazing. Um, and uh, recently we had uh, issue number five come out, and it was structured completely differently than any issue of Angela that we'd done so far. And uh, so with having um, dual artists on the book, I uh, had always designed down uh, with my co-writer, Kieran Gillen, who had worked on the previous two arcs, and now I'm on it solo, and I'm sad, and he's in a con at Mexico City. Um, <laughs> You guys have to help me like give him a lot of shit about that later. Um, and so uh, with our dual artists, um, how we always split up the book um, was that there would be an overarching story and then there would be a sub-story. And it would usually be um, uh, one of our characters, usually Sarah, who is this angelic bard, um, would you know spin out this narrative yarn that could be a flashback, it could be something that was intended to underscore one of the themes of the book or the arc. Um, and uh, so we would divide uh, where you know Stephanie took one and then Kim took one. 
And with the most recent issue, uh, Angela, Angela 5, um, we completely shook that up. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, the story's the conquest of hell. Uh, you know, Angela's baby cake, Sarah, uh, gets killed and condemned to the Norse hell. And uh, so she goes down to rescue her, and there's lots of smooching. Um, and, <laughs> um, and so, you know, the issue five is this giant climactic fight. They've gone through the labyrinth of hell and all these trials. And, uh, you know, one of the big conceits of the story was that I didn't want hell to be torture and fire and, you know, and blood and guts and gore. Um, I wanted hell to be memory. And so the whole idea is that you are reliving your greatest hits and your greatest flops. And uh, so Angela and Sarah get to talking about, you know, well, this is going to be the start of a new chapter in their lives. They're reunited. You know, it's, it's great. It's, you know, sweeping romantic. Um, and, uh, you know, so now we need to make some new greatest hits. And what I decided to do was that instead of giving Stephanie um, this magnificent painter a five-page sub-story within this giant battle sequence um, she has five singular splash pages. And uh, Sarah says, you know, well, we're going to make some new greatest hits, and you'll know them when you see them. And those are, you know, the start with Stephanie's uh, pages. Like, these are going to become the new iconic moments in them making a new story for themselves. Um, so it's really, really wonderful. And, uh, you know, I know so often, um, I think the, the weakest books come out of, uh, you know, writers showing up with a huge ego and treating it like, well, I'm the employer and you're the employee, and you're going to, you know, draw what I tell you to. Um, I think that's weak, and I think that's stupid. And, I mean, one of the best ways to go about and to make the most resonant work is to operate like you're the parents of this story. Like, you know, you, like, I love to get on Skype with my artists, like, talk about what you want to draw, what you're, you know, you hate drawing, you know, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and how do we make this book the best that we want it to be, and swallow your pride, and just, you know, make the work for the audience. Um, yes, that's a really long answer to a really simple question. I'm sorry, I like talking. <laughs> Maybe that's why I have you on the panel, you could do all the talking for me. <laughs> so, um, I, again, before we get to Q&A, uh, Woman of Marvel podcast every Friday on iTunes. Uh, if you guys have uh, people you want to specifically talk to within the Marvel Universe, we talk to uh, people from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've talked to people from Jessica Jones, Daredevil. Um, actually, today, uh, on Friday, our podcast w went up with uh, Deborah Ann Wall and Elodie Young, who play uh, Karen Page and Elektra and the series that maybe you guys have all already watched, or maybe not at all. Um, and we have some upcoming with uh, some of the Marvel Captain America Civil War, and then sometimes the fellow ladies, uh, editors, and I get together and we talk about random things. So, so um, opening the floor for Q&A. You guys got a question for us? Hit it. Go, go for the mic so we can hear you. Hello. Hello. Uh-oh. Technical difficulties. Okay, I'm just not talking loud enough. I'm sorry. Um, thank you all for being here. I can't say enough about how much I love Marvel and all the amazing female characters and creators and artists and everything. It's it's truly great. I have a daughter that was just born in December, uh, November, and I just I can't wait to introduce her to all this stuff. Um, uh, I know you guys probably get pitched a lot of things. But I have money in my pocket that I will just throw at you if I can get a Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew team-up book. <laughs> That's a great idea, and it's going in the brain bank, and that money will come at me soon. Don't worry. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller, but not really. Um, so... 
as we know, like Netflix shows are gaining a lot of popularity, and because of that, um, we know that Luke Cage and Iron Fist are going to be the next series coming up, and they already have their own book again, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. I'm just wondering, are we? Is there any chance we can see a Jessica Jones or Alias book now that she's gaining popularity again? I think that. Absolutely. We will see Jessica Jones again. I think it's a question of, it's a character that is near and dear to Brian Bendis' heart. And so I think it's a question of when he's going to have time to write that series. But absolutely, she's an amazing character, and there's no way she's not going to be showing up in the Marvel Universe soon. Actually, um, I... I think I, I'll be okay saying uh, she, I, I don't know anything about you know, her own title or anything, but she's going to be a major player in Civil War II. Great, thanks. So we saw her a little bit in A-Force, and before the Secret Wars, my favorite series was Storm, and I was wondering if we're going to see Storm have a big, bigger role in the Marvel Universe anytime soon. I think it's, I think it's serious. Um, I so I'm not I don't have any plans for her in A Force right now, but uh, she's she's a fan favorite. People love her. I think she's fabulous. Um, so it's not something that we're planning towards having her in A Force. As for what her her future is, um, I'm, I'm not sure on that. It's kind of a TBD situation. But yeah, I'm sorry I can't give you a better answer on that one. No worries. Uh, um. When designing the costumes of all these female superheroes, what aspects of their characters do you really look at? That is a really good question. Um, I, actually, it's d- doing design, I mean, at least helping the artist come up with a concept is one of my favorite parts of the job. And especially for female characters, you want them to be very distinct from one another. They all have different personalities, they all have different origin stories, and you want their costume to tell that story. So, for example, we did a redesign on the Scarlet Witch costume, and I worked with Kevin Wada, who is actually a fashion designer, so he was thinking about it as if he was creating an outfit that a real person would actually wear, which is very cool and sometimes doesn't happen. Um, we gave her we gave her a corseted look to sort of call into this very romantic gothic idea of her character and we changed her headpiece so that it was more of a beaded piece and so we basically just took the idea of who she was she's beautiful she's darker she's magical and we tried to infuse that into the costume and i know that the process is different for every single character for example Working with Ms. Marvel, I know that Sana worked a lot with the designs as far as making her outfit not super skin tight, not super revealing. She has a very different look, and she has a tunic, and all of the aspects of her character, all the aspects of her costume play into the fact that she's a young girl in, in high school, and she's not, you know, this skin tight clad Avenger superhero yet. I mean, now she is an Avenger, but she's not in a skin-tight outfit, and that's really cool. I don't know if some of the artists want to speak to their designs. Um, My approach is usually almost kind of like... I was going to say like Daniel Day-Lewis-y. Like, I really try to get into the mind of the character, and, and I think a lot about their background, and even details like whether or not they chose the costume for themselves, um, if they're part of a team. 
um, if they're actually super powered or if they're more like I worked on Kate Bishop and she's not she's not like a super powered like superhero she's she's uh, very very skilled but she can't like leap buildings and fly and stuff and so that would affect the way that she dresses and how practical her outfits need to be um, I like to think about if they dress themselves how much money they have did they have to make their own costume and so um, uh, details like how they want to be, uh, how do they want to present themselves to the world? How they want to, do they want to be feared? Do they want to be um, stealthy and unnoticed? All these things are things that I take into consideration for um, design, mostly character-based stuff. For me, um, be, uh, everything Annie said, absolutely. Also, their personality to me is very important. Um, when I draw characters, I want to show as much of their personality as I can every time I show them. And so with Silk, uh, one of my things, I wouldn't say it was a great, but one of the things that I had proposed that they went on board with was cutting her hair. And for me, I was like, you know, there's a lot of uh, heroines with the kind of long black hair, and I wanted her to stand out, and she's kind of quirky. And so when they said that I could cut her hair, I was like, yes, thank you. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and also, you want them to look cool, but especially, you know, the... The struggle with female characters is, you know, everybody wants to be cool, and superheroes, they want to be attractive and sexy, but you don't want to look trashy, like uh, like um, Emma Frost, she has some of her old costumes are a little dicey, just like a thong, and just a corset, and like her bust is, and it's like, come on, you know, there's got to be some practicality to it, and, and you do want to be able to have their personality not be outshined by them wearing a bikini or something ridiculous, you know? So I think, I think things are, have gone, gotten so much better and so much more interesting. And just like, you know, you, fashion is expressive and they have to be able to be expressive as well in their characters, so... Yeah, I think to piggyback off of what Stacy was saying, there's a difference between a character who is sexy and owns her sexuality and is just like very beautiful and then being sexualized and showing a costume that's just revealing for the reader. And I think that walking that line is really important in costume design. It's something that these women do really, really well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hi, my name is Dante, and I'm from Riverdale, Illinois. Um, actually, I I can make a comment. It's actually about uh, my friend showed me this yesterday about the uh, Shield 50th anniversary with Melinda May. Uh, there was like a small nod to uh, Mulan with the prisoner singing. Now, my friend was also wondering. He's he asked like this question to me, so he wanted me to ask it for him. Is there a possibility that, like you might see other nods like later in the future to other movies since Disney and Marvel are in the same comp- within the same district or same company? Because with that notice in that issue, he was kind of just curious. So, um, you know, it's a tricky thing trying to pull in non-Marvel characters into Marvel properties, and I think that in general we try not to do that. I know that like the. F- the ultimate fantasy is seeing Disney characters in the Marvel Universe. It would be amazing. But for our purposes, we do try to keep them separate. So I don't know if we have immediate plans to do something similar like that in the future. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
Hi, um, I'm a designer, and I had a question for Rochelle mostly, uh, but I'm sure the artists and the editors might have some ideas too. Um, I d I'm a digital designer. I design for screens a lot, and I was thinking I read a lot of apps and digital things like Marvel Unlimited plug, and also I collect like trade paperbacks as well. Is there a difference when you're designing for print versus digital, or when you think about layouts and how things work on the screen or how they're consumed? Are you talking like print versus digital? Right. Media? I mean, you get nerdy like CMYK versus RGB and like how they're. Yes. Um, well, I mean, obviously RGB and CMYK, totally different. Um, I usually, I work in uh, working RGB, but it's viewed, I view it as CMYK, so I can get kind of a preview of what the printed product will look like. Um, I've done some infinite comics, too, for Marvel. Uh, the layout is totally different. Uh, it's it's made specifically for screens. So, um, I mean, it's not even like a page. It's just like a shot. Um, and is that process really different then? It's totally different. Um, <laughs> I can't even, I mean, usually when Marvel sends me pages, it's just like a page you would see printed in a comic. For the Infinite comics, it's, they're, they're basically by panels. But, I mean, you would view it as a page, and then they do like pans and different kind of action shots. So, I mean, I'll work on like one shot, but it'll, part of it will be in the next shot. So it's like a totally different process, at least for me. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, different. I would love to see, I know they do digital comics too, but um, seeing like working in RGB and then seeing how it transitions to CMYK, it's definitely different. So um, when I'm working in RGB, I have to be very careful of some of the colors that I use, knowing that when it goes to print, it will be slightly different, duller. Uh, the glows are not the same. Like reds and pinks print differently in CMYK than they show up in RGB. So it's a definitely a different process. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was just curious how hard that was. Thank you. You came back for more. I came back for more. I'm just a curious person. Um, some of the bigger comics that have come out, at least in, in my world, have been Silk, Ms. Marvel starring Kamala Khan, and um, Spider-Gwen. I was just wondering if you guys could speak to how that's m maybe impacted things behind the scenes at Marvel, having these three big heroes that are women and how they're impacting sales and merchandising and whatever else might be going on in, in Marvel's head. Well, I think it was like only a couple years ago when we had, you know, a small handful of female-led titles and it was on this panel that we were like, hey, if you want more female titles, buy them, go to the store and and get them, and we'll make more. And now, I mean, as you can see, we have 20 female-led titles, which is, like, insane. I mean, that's basically half of our line. And so just in the last couple years, it's changed immensely. So absolutely, behind the scenes, we, whenever we pitch a new book, pitching a solo female title that used to be a lot harder to get approved through sales, now it's like, absolutely, go for it. We have all of these amazing amazing books that you guys like and you buy, and that's great. So it's all been very positive. 
That's absolutely true. The pitching process has been so much easier. So there's there's a couple projects that I'm working on for post Civil War, and I unfortunately can't talk about them. But <laughs> the the ones that are more female centric or more female led, it's been almost not even a conversation. It's almost like yes, of course, why wouldn't you do that? Um, so people have been really open to it, and it's all because you guys are buying the comics. So it's that we're getting that feeling from you that this is something you want to see. It's also affecting behind the scenes, too. As you guys can see, we have more female creators coming on board, uh, more voices that we want to get heard to tell, you know, not just female stories, but Marvel stories. Um, so it's really affecting the entire line, the entire publishing industry um, in, in an amazingly positive way. Hi, I'm um, kind of going off of that, actually. I was wondering, um, you know, if you feel sort of more excitement about working with these newer, kind of more diverse and maybe, in a sense, more feminist characters like Miss Marvel than, or if you look forward to kind of reworking people like Emma Frost and trying to give her more dimension, um, and sort of slightly not related, um, also how you feel about the importance of having female creators and artists work on actually male-centric storylines. Well, to answer your first question, um, I honestly, it's both. I, I think that's kind of a cheat to your, to your question, but it is, because I love creating new characters. It's like my favorite thing. Creating Moon Girl in, for, for Moon Girl Double Dinosaur, it was just so much fun because getting to tell a character's story from the very beginning, like what makes them who they are, how do they get their powers, how do they react to certain situations, building that from the ground up is super cool. And also just like, being a woman, building a woman character from the ground up, you get to add a lot of, you know, your own personal perspective, and that's true of all the creators, you know, whether writer, writer, artist, etc. So that's super fun. But that said, like, there are lots of characters like Emma Frost that, um, it, it's amazing to get to like say, okay, like this is her history, and I get to play a part in shaping her history now moving forward. And so, I, I mean, sorry, it's both I'm cheating. <laughs> Um, as for having um, female creators behind the scenes work on male characters, um, I think that's just as important as having having them work on female characters. It's just that they're getting their voice and their perspective out there. Uh, all the Mighty Men of Marvel covers that we showed were all drawn by women, and so uh, all the ones up there were drawn by women. Um, and so having different people put their take on a character, whether they're a man or a woman, is, is why I hire them. Um, it, personally, I edit a lot of titles that are male-driven, male-led, you know, led, solo male characters, and it's, it's nice because I'm able to get in their heads and, and you know, collaborate with a writer and an artist and figure out how we want to tell the story. So it's really just about being able to connect with your character, whether they're male or female, and getting your voice heard and how you think they should be portrayed true to who they are. So it's, it's important that women creators get behind everything, not just female characters. Do you feel like there's an instance where you were working on a male title and you were like, as a, you know, sort of a female creator or editor, you were like, mm, this is not how I think we should portray the character, this is not something we should do or you wanted to adjust it in some oh, way? Oh, definitely, but it's, it's always based in character, so if it's something where, you know, the, the writer whomever wanted a male character to do something that wasn't true to who they were, then of course I say something, but that's me as an editor, and I would say that regardless of who the character was. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's mainly. I mean, our first jobs as editor are to the characters and making sure that we hold up who they are at their core um, as both heroes and people. So that's that's kind of what our job is to begin with, whether it's a male character or a female character. Thank you. Sure. Um, actually, on that point. Um, I really feel like the ideal that I'm hoping we're eventually going to be working towards is everybody writing everything. So it's no longer that a particular demographic uh, has or is required to hold a monopoly on the demographic that reflects the characters. So I'm hoping that we get to the point where we're comfortable with men writing women, with women writing men, with women writing women, and men writing men, and, and, you know, and the specter of you know, gender queerness and non-binariness within that. Um, and so, like, I, I, you know, right now, it's so tricky to navigate how you have an authentic voice without it becoming tokenizing. You know, there are times where it's like, did I get this job because you felt like I would be able to depict the character's life experiences accurately? Or did I get the job because you were scared there was going to be, you know, blowback for you not hiring a chick? And so I honestly feel like as, you know, the conversation becomes more nuanced, you know, as we have more titles come out, as we see the audience response and we become more confident in being able to tell these kinds of stories, we're going to open up, you know, new doors and new pathways in order to tell an even bright, uh, broader range of stories. And we're going to be more comfortable, you know, with the dialogue about, um, you know, uh, the, the, you know the, the relationship between character and creator. Um, so I'm really hoping that we get to the point um, that, you know, people do their homework, you know, so people are no longer, you know, like I, sometimes, you know, you get a script and it's like, oh man, did like some dude in an anti-suffragette rally in 1910 write this? Um, so, you know, uh, I do feel like, you know, we're, we're improving by leaps and bounds, um, but I do feel like the idea is not, the ideal is not in the future only women are going to write women. I'm going to burn out on that. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I have high hopes, um, but I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Um, I realized recently that we're just shy of um, two years or so from the 50th anniversary of the introduction of Carol Danvers, um, which is just exciting. Um, and it's probably a little too early for me to actually get an answer from you about this. Uh, but I just sort of wanted to comment that it would be really great if there was some sort of like big celebration or something that you guys did to sort of recognize and celebrate that. Um, I know some of the... Other big um, anniversaries, you know, have had variant covers and, you know, little bugs on, you know, all the line and, you know, things like that. So it would be, you know, great if we could see something exciting to recognize that half century of Carol Danvers. I would love that, too. That would be great. <laughs> uh, you, need, you need to tell Ryan Panagos, who's sitting down right there. Uh, we work for Marvel.com, and so uh, the last couple of years we've been doing the celebration of all the different anniversaries of all the different characters. This year we're celebrating Captain America. It's his 75th anniversary. And so throughout the year we have a hub, and we're doing tons of stuff, uh, cosplay posts, talking to old creators, all that type of stuff. So we'll, in two years, when we when we... <laughs> We'll pin that, and we'll we'll try and do the same thing for Captain Marvel because I will stand up, and I want you know I want Carol Danvers to get her voice too. So, so uh, Ryan, are you net- noting that down? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, hello. <laughs> so I was you've spoken to this a little bit already, um, but just with the greater numbers of female creators and of female-centric titles. I'm just wondering if there are specific trends or changes in there that you find particularly encouraging. I know we started talking about it a little bit, but things that you find, um, what makes you hopeful for the future of women creators and women titles and women readers, I guess. 
Well, I think first of all, just the fact that we can walk in, I mean, Katie or I can walk into a meeting with the executive head of sales and our executive editors and say like, hey, I've got a great idea for a, a female title. And they're like, cool, awesome, what's it about? I mean, that is like super exciting and I love that. And also just the more female titles we have out there, the more diversity we see in those female characters. Just the more different types of characters we have, the more different backgrounds, and just that's awesome. Also, I think it's, it, a lot of it's a question of confidence. So confidence breeds confidence. So being female creators um, is, you know, a while ago it was difficult to get our voices heard. But I think seeing that there are good examples of women who are making a difference, who are getting their voices heard, who are building things, hopefully will inspire confidence in others to be like, oh, okay, it's not that hard. I can do it too. Um, I mean, over the past couple years alone, seeing how our female titles are growing leaps and bounds, seeing the number of female creators who are contributing to these, it's, it's almost like, oh, it, it, maybe I could do that too. So I'm hoping it's that a confidence level that's building not only people who want to get in the industry, but people who currently exist in the industry who may be like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm not as good as you know this guy or this girl or whomever. Um, but hopefully it'll just give someone the extra boost to be like, I'm going to speak up in that meeting and I'm going to put that pitch there and I'm going to draw this thing and I'm going to do it. Um, so that's, that's what I've, the trends that I've been seeing as an editor and also as a woman in the industry. Um, and I'm hoping that that is contagious and, and everybody gets infected with it because it's, it's just making better comics. And also coming to, these panel, coming to these conventions and getting a room full of people willing to hear us talk and willing to see more female titles. You know, the Internet has changed the way I think people can get comics, not only digitally, but also the way that people can find different different ways to read and, and like, different ways to find a community. I mean, the Caracor is so important. You know, it's, it's like watching that and, and watching that bloom into this amazing entity where you can go on the Tumblr and be like, I really, like, I want to learn about this character, but I don't know where to start. And, like, there are hundreds of people who are like, well, here's an entire reading guide, and you should start here. And, you know, so I think that that is, you know, you guys are what's making us easier confidence and stuff for us to walk into a room because... We're listening to you, I promise. Um, also, as far as trends, um, you know, for so, uh, for so very, very long, um, you know, women show up as props in stories, you know, whether it's, it's sex props, whether it's you're the kidnapped daughter, the dead wife, you know, the, the you know, bouncy co-ed that the aging professor has a fling with to reignite his creative tendencies. Um, <laughs> you know, so you, you want to compensate for the eons of that, of, of being depowered and depersoned. Um, and so, you know, uh, when you have a female-led title, you know, in comics and books and movies and in, in whatever media you prefer, um, there is this reaction to it where you, when you have, uh, you know, a female who's the main character, um, there's this tendency, you know, which I'm, which I'm not knocking, um, but to make her so heroic that it almost becomes an exaggeration. You know, it's fantastic to have a role model. We need more. Um, simultaneously, you do see trends where all the titles that are coming, or I shouldn't say titles, I mean, I mean every genre, you know, and every piece of media. Um, you know, where they are suddenly, you know, these supreme women. You know, they're, they're flawless, they're beautiful, they're this and that, you know. Um, they are this reflection of, you know, what's meant to be the ideal. Every woman suddenly has to be aspirational, especially in the media we give to little girls. And so you get this idea that you're not allowed to screw up. 
And honestly, one of the things that I would love to see is more women who are not aspirational. That's one of the things that I've loved that Marvel has given me the freedom to do is working um, in Angela. Like with Angela and Sarah, they're not aspirational characters. They like each other and killing for hire. And that's about it. <laughs> um, so, you know, those, uh, you know, even, even growing up, you know, people, people ask me, who were your favorite uh, heroines growing up? And I don't have an answer for that. Like my favorite uh, characters were the villains. I liked Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn because they didn't have to be good. They got to be themselves. And so, you know, I, um, you know, more titles means that no woman has to suddenly validate the experience of all women. So having different types of female-led titles, books, movies, what have you, is the way that we get to a richer and more complete, uh, you know, stage in art. So, thank you. Question. My question, so we've got 20 plus more coming ongoing starring females in Marvel, if you had, this is to everyone up there, if you had carte blanche, green light, for a new ongoing starring any character, female character in Marvel that doesn't currently already have one, who'd you pick? America Chavez. Holy God. (laughs) I would do Misty Knight. Yeah. I would love a Mystique book. I don't want to answer because I'm kind of already doing it and I can't talk about it. (laughs) What's your second choice, Katie? Second choice. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't spill. uh, But she's. Uh, I've got I've got two in the pipeline and both of them were just like oh thank God finally, um, but it's all like very tied to Civil War stuff so I can't talk about it yet. But um, two of my big ones are, are coming up so sorry. Okay, thank you. Hi. Oh, I love Marvel a lot, despite the fact that I'm really DC'd out right now. But I was just wondering. Um, we won't kick you out. It's okay. I was wondering, um, this is for each of you, um, which Marvel character would you identify yourself most with? Ooh. Um, I, I, I've actually had to answer this question before, so I have one on the top of my head. I, as much as I love Carol, um, I find myself very more closer to Mystique because I find that she's not, she's not a, I mean, she's a villain, that's what you think she is, but sometimes she thinks she's doing the, the good things, and I think a lot of, she wrestles a lot internally with who she is and what she means, and, uh, and I also sometimes wish I could change my look and, uh, you know, do stuff like that, but I really see a lot of myself in her, which makes me seem like I'm a bad person, but I promise I'm not, but I, but I do also very much love Carol. Um, so on the spot, I would, I think I would say squirrel girl. (laughs) Um, I just, you know, I feel like she's my spirit animal. I, you know, she's like silly. She's upbeat. She's fun. I'm just like being nice about myself right now. That's not what I meant to do. But yeah, I definitely feel like I have like a very positive outlook and that is absolutely part of her character. Um, I, I actually have to say Spider-Woman right now. Um, I just finished uh, three issues, and I, I mean, I love Dennis Hopeless writing, but I really related to her character. She became a new mom, and 
Um, I also have three kids. One of them it just turned two. So I, I really, um, as I was doing, like, the, the few issues of her, like, you know, at the end of her pregnancy and going through labor and then, you know, having her child and then, like, you know, the internal struggle of, like, being a new mom and, you know, still trying to be a superhero and, you know, juggling all these things that you love. Like, for me, you know, I love... I love my job. I love coloring. Um, but I also love being a mom. And it's like that struggle of like, you know, can I do it all? So I definitely related to her. So um, This feels kind of ridiculous to say. I'm not saying it just because I worked on it. But Hawkeye, like both Clint and Kate, I alternate between uh, the two of them. <laughs> like I, even as I was reading the issues and working on them, I was like, I relate to being such a screw up all the time and like feeling like... <laughs> I think Matt described Clint as a human tire fire. I was like, I totally get that. <laughs> it's so me. So, yeah, I'll say both of them. Um, for me, it was Rogue, because I am also a loudmouth, sassy, failed Southern Belle who makes questionable romantic decisions. <laughs> um, Marguerite totally stole my answer, but Sorry, it's not that I'm like her, because I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. as charming or but. Uh, I certainly wish I was. When I was a kid and I watched the animated series, I was like, I'm a girl. I want to be just like her. Yeah. Puddin. Uh, <laughs> what does she say? Not Puddin. That's Harley. Oops, I blew that. Uh, sugar. Yeah. I try to throw that in every once in a while to sound cool, but I don't know if it works. <laughs> um, so this, I also feel bad because I work on it, but I want to say Mockingbird. Like, I'm not blonde and, and I don't work out, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I like that she uses science to solve her problems. She uses her brain uh, almost first before her fist. And um, I like, I personally, you know, if I wasn't a comic book getter, I probably would have, you know, been a paleontologist or been a biologist or something in science. So um, I really like seeing how she uses her brain to solve problems. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I like to operate. So I'm going to say Mockingbird. All right, thank you. Excellent answers. So we have about uh, five minutes left, so we'll try to make these fast. All right, hi. Um, in the past couple of years, we've had a couple new characters who have sort of taken on the legacy of an older hero, be it like um, Jane Foster as Thor, Kamala Khan as Miss Marvel, in addition to some new characters like Silk who have sort of a similar power set to Spider-Man. And I was just curious about the approach, be it through uh, writing or art, that you take to sort of make sure these characters have a very unique identity that they sort of shine through, that you show that Silk's not just girls Spider-Man, or like um, Jane Foster is Thor, and that transcends just the Odin son as being Thor. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really good question. I, I was, you know, I'm like, I'm not a writer, so I didn't, I don't write any of that stuff. But it's mainly just... Uh, being uh, able to show the character as, as an entire being. So it's not just that, you know, it's not just that it's Thor, it's, it's not just that it's, you know, Wolverine. It's, it's uh, them as people dealing with their own issues uh, while wearing the costume. So, I mean, obviously, you know Thor with breast cancer and, and how being Thor affects uh, Jane. Um, it's, it's just showing those... Uh, character bits that are specific to the characters, like like I was saying before, how our job is to the characters first, um, and not letting, as an editor, not letting anybody say, okay, well, it's just, you know, girl Spider-Man, or, you know, girl whatever, because I'm like, no, that's terrible. 
it's, it's really just letting, letting the story tell itself with the character there. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of just making sure that you don't lose the person in the costume. Um, I have a sort of similar question. When you create new characters, a lot of the time the danger is you put them in the world that, like, with the Spider-Man kind of verse, back in the day when they put new characters in, half the time they didn't fit and it didn't feel right, and then they were quickly forgotten. But with, like, Silk or Spider-Gwen or Miles Morales, they just fit in that world perfectly. What's the biggest challenge making a new character fit into those kind of worlds? I think this is similar to the previous question about establish, uh, putting characters into established canon. So I was trying to think of a, an example of an established world, and I was like, oh, you're right. The Spider-Verse is totally that. So um, uh, I guess anyone with experience with like the Spider characters would speak more to that, but it's just, yeah. Yeah, I think characters' set pieces are incredibly important to establish who they are. Their parents, what does their house look like? What does their school look like? What are their friends like? Those are like to me, some of the most integral, fundamental aspects to what makes a character distinct and what makes Miles Morales different from Peter Parker. There are obviously some similarities, but, like, Ganke is, like, a huge part of his life, and that, like, informs who he is. Like, his parents feel a specific way about superheroes. That makes him very different. So, yeah, I think that a lot of it is about um, supporting cast and having the supporting cast make the world feel real, not just, like, oh, it looks like this city and just letting it lie at that. It's, like, Who's the guy who sells him his breakfast sandwich? Like, who's his teacher? Like, those kinds of things, I think, really help sell the, the set piece in the environment. This is actually, like, a series of really great questions. I'm actually going to make a note, and for a future podcast, we'll try and tackle this. We'll actually get some um, writers and creators who worked on, you know, Miss Marvel and Silk and actually break down what the actual process is uh, because they're all in other conventions. So, but, yeah, thanks for the question. I think uh, we got time for one more real quick. Hi, sorry. So one of the trends that you guys talked about earlier was strong uh, women characters and not, not always being strong, but also breaking down and seeing different sides of them. And I think that's wonderful. And I have two little girls, and so I like to read to them comics and books. And one of the things that I thought about on the opposite is if I had little boys, I'd want to read to them. Another trend that I've seen just a little bit of is kind of the responsibility on boys how to treat women and how to look at them as equals and not just put all the onus on the girls. That is fabulous point because uh, you know a lot of a lot of the issues that we deal with in society today are like because oh well that's how I grew up or that's what I was taught so that is a really really great point uh, and something we should strive to do in the comics absolutely yeah I think what's amazing too is that like it's not just girls reading these girl centered books it's boys too and that's really important and it's not about targeting your audience or anything like that it's just about these characters are for everyone. And if you're a boy, you don't have to relate to boy characters. If you're a girl, you don't have to relate to girl characters. You can relate to whoever you relate to. Um, Yeah, and so I think that's amazing. That's a really good point. Can we do one more? Yeah, one last question. Uh, My name is Avery. Uh, I was listening to what you said earlier about the the more we go out and support female characters, the more it's easier for you guys to go in and pitch a title. Uh, Would that same process work and help for, like, like bringing characters to like maybe the Jessica Jones, Netflix, or Daredevil, stuff like that? If they begin to see the popularity and sales go up for certain characters? I think so, but it's, it's hard for us to speak to that because 
we were on the comic book side of things, not Marvel Studio. Uh, but of course, showing uh, by people who are consuming, you know, the stuff that we're making, whether it's comics or the TV shows or the movies, if they become popular and people are like, the executives are like, oh, this is cool. People are talking about it. People like it. Of course, they're going to want to make more. So, all, yeah, all I can say is I'm, I'm hopeful that that's, that trend also translates to Marvel Studios. It, it should, but I, I don't know for sure just because we're comics people. Yeah, no, I would say that, like, comics are the testing ground for all these characters. Like, it starts in publishing, and we get to try it out. We get to say, like, does this character stick? Do people like them? And then, absolutely, the next step is animation, Netflix, cinema. Like, that's, that's the direction. So all these characters you see up on the board, all 20 titles, like, Hopefully one day we'll have all kinds of media for all of these characters. Great. Thanks so much for staying with the entire panel. Yay! As always, if you have questions for us that you didn't want to get in front, please email us. It's womanof at marvel.com, and I will get it to the right person. Thanks so much for coming. Enjoy the rest of your con, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you guys next week. This is Marvel, your universe.